Hey guys, happy Friday. Kid Carson here. Please get to my website, sign up for my newsletter so you don't miss my big announcement, kidcarson.com. Let's jump in real quick. I had a chance yesterday to chat with Roman Babber. He's running for CPC leadership. Roman has always come across as a pretty cool guy. He's active on social media. You may have seen some of his motivational, sort of inspirational, freedom-loving speeches. He's in town uh, in BC this weekend. Get to his website to meet him in person. But let's do it. Let's meet Roman Babber. How are you, my man? Nice to see you. Good, man. Good to be with you. It's busy these days. And, and look, I, I don't want to miss my plane to BC. That's right. You're here this weekend. Which ends in about three hours from now. So what do you got planned for your trip out here? We're going to be in uh, Kamloops tomorrow. And then in the evening, we're going to be in Kelowna. And then on Saturday morning, we're going to drive over to Abbotsford, hang around there, then make it to the greater Vancouver area for Saturday afternoon, Surrey and Burnaby, then have a rally Vancouver Saturday night, and then Richmond on Sunday, and uh, the Vancouver Island on Monday. If any of your folks want to check me out, come to one of my events. You can catch them all the information at joinroman.ca. Right on, dude. Wow, the schedule's no joke, is it? I apologize for making the first question a plug for my website. I'm sorry, dude. Dude, this is all about plugging you. I mean, because, you know, uh, the West is waking up to you. And, um, you know, you're very well known and very famous in Ontario. You're well loved there, especially with younger people. Then now the freedom movement has really been on you. Like my wife first played a video of you on Instagram. You're very active on social media, which is great. And you were making a speech and it was really in the in a time of darkness. You know, people are really feeling bummed out and you were like this bright shining light and you were the first to speak out. And so it really gave a lot of people hope, including myself. I was like, who's this guy? Like what? And I put a thing on my Instagram just saying like, Hey, I'm going to be talking to a uh, Roman. What do you want me to ask him? So I've got some questions. Some of them are, are a bit tough. I hope you don't mind. Um, don't mind. There was a theme of like people saying, Oh, this guy's got integrity. He spoke up first. People, people love you, you know? So there's a, there's a great vibe. You'll be well, well welcomed when you touch down in, in BC. That's for sure. I'm grateful to you. Look, I um, I know that it's been so hard for many Canadians, and uh, including myself. And I can't imagine any well-meaning public servant not doing essentially what what I've tried to do for the last year and a half, which is to say, look, um, we know that we're dealing with a tricky situation, but it's no reason to redesign our democracy. It's no reason to uh, potentially cause more harm to Canadians than than good, especially when when we see the evidence. It's no reason to create segregation within our society. Um, I, I've been very blessed uh, living in Canada. I'm an immigrant to Canada, as some of your viewers know. I came here when I was 15 and I've had every single blessing this country has to offer and I'm unwilling to see it go. And, and that means we have to restore Canada's democracy in full. And that means every single Canadian has to have every single one of their rights restored. I'm not giving up on our country. What a weird time in history because so much trust has been lost. Like people just feel like, you know, we've been so, to be blunt, screwed by our leadership. It's like, and when Trudeau first came on the scene, I mean, you know, he had this like kind of like JFK Jr. sort of vibe. He's got like the hair and he's like good looking and well-spoken. And all he did was talk about freedom and to see what he's turned into is like so gross. When you see this transformation, it's hard to trust anyone. And, and people right now are looking for hope. How do they know you're not just another shill who's going to say the right things and then turn into another loser? Look, kid, that's a fair question. Uh, no one believes anyone anymore. Nobody uh, believes anything anymore. 
And there's no question that uh, what happened in the last couple of years has completely eroded trust in government. So look, that's what I try to do. I try to say it how it is, even when it's unpopular. And, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at politics and that's okay. I, I didn't get into this business to be all things to all people. Uh, I practiced law for 12 years before I was elected. I wanted to go into law and politics because I hate injustice and I hate scumbaggery. I figured that I might as well be able to look at myself in the mirror 10 years from now, instead of thinking, why did we not speak out when, when we had people calling us saying, our kids are depressed or, or our kids are self-harming or I've been off the wagon or on the wagon for 20 years and now I'm off after 20 years. Uh, when, when we see, when we hear about late cancer diagnoses and, and missed surgeries, um, I would say if there's a lot of people might disagree with me on a number of issues, and I'm sure that some of your viewers might not agree with everything I'm going to say over the next 35 minutes, but at the very least, you're going to know where I stand and, and you're going to know what I believe. And, and that also means that I will always do what I believe is right, even when it's unpopular. I, I think we owe it to our, our loved ones, our families, our voters to make sure that we get through this very, very delicate moment. I have no interest in politics. I have interest in our country uh, restoring its, its nature, its kindness, its democracy. I think it's the best country in the world. And, and that is the only thing I'm concerned with. And is that a word you just invented? Because I love it. Scumbaggery. Or is that a real, <laughs> that a real word? <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. Uh, there's the soundbite. There's the soundbite for my Instagram page. <laughs> um, so how do we, I mean, how does Canada heal after all this garbage that's, that's, that's happened? How do, you, how do you plan to bring us back together? There are a couple of key components here. Number one is the ability to articulate an opinion. I think that freedom of speech is, is the holy grail. It's, it's the most precious of all rights because it's through speech that we defend all other rights. And it's not just good for our democracy. It's also good for our public policymaking, where we weigh different considerations into what it is we do, and not just in politics, in management, or if you're coaching a sports team, or or investing money, it doesn't matter. Get, get another perspective to appreciate the, ba the baseline of opinions. But it's also good to, let, to help people heal because many of us feel that our voices have been neglected or worse, censored. And so as soon as at the very least people feel that they're able to be heard and, and their opinion is factored into everyday polite society that uh, we're immediately going to have relief. We're also going to, I think, make a considerable difference in terms of our public policy making in that we will unleash a lot of professionals, ungag a lot of professionals that, and, and decision makers and, and policy makers in key positions in the, in the regulatory bodies, in, in academia, in, in unions, and in government to, to speak what they believe. And, and that will immediately uh, restore, I think, the equilibrium to this bizarre world that we've experiencing for the last couple of years. And finally, um, not only it will bring back democracy and not only it will bring us to better decision-making, it will help us heal. So many Canadians I speak to feel that they haven't been heard despite the multitude of, of difficulties that they've been experiencing for the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's a necessary element towards closure. So the first one is speech. And the second one, this, this one might surprise you. 
I think it's kindness. It's old-fashioned Canadian kindness. And I go to a lot of rallies, kid, when people say, Roman, are you going to bring accountability? Are you going to, are you going to hold people responsible? Sure. I, I'd like to understand precisely what happened. I'd like to get all the data. I'd like to look at the correspondence. I'd like to get transparency. You're not going to get that until we form government. They're not going to allow us to have a good look at what happened. But at the same time, our nation is so polarized, it's so divided right now. The kindness has to come from our side as well. We have to build a bridge where we restore normal relations between these people, between our, between people. We are scared of one. Canadians have made to be scared of one another, skeptical of one another, snitch on one another. It's unheard of. This is completely un-Canadian. And I think that it's very, very important for the freedom side to lead by example and, and show kindness and love, as we have largely been doing. When you talk about the division, do you think that's done by design? Like when Justin says things like, you know, these people, the, the strange rhetoric that's gone on of how he's talked about people who have um, chosen to be vac vaccine free, for example, is that a slip of the tongue? Or is that something that you think when he's giving a speech, he drops that stuff in there on purpose to further divide us? I think that a lot of Canadians have uh, been really scared and, and it's fear that regretfully turned into hate. But when it comes to Justin Trudeau, he comes from the school of the radical left. And, and this is a very typical playbook for them where they divide people and pit them against one another, us versus them. So uh, I think that there may be, there, there definitely may be an element. And, and you're seeing that in, in many of his policies and you're seeing him articulated on, on other uh, files, like for instance, the racial division that I think that he's causing. He's, he's pitting Canadians against one another or, or our relationship with the indigenous community, which, which I believe is suffering because of the divisive re rhetoric that, that Justin Trudeau is engaging in. So I think this is very much an ideological uh, element that we're in. And, and part of what they do is they create a target, they create an enemy, and, and I think that what's happening right now is no different. It's political. The fact that he's been able to go on the way he has and speak the way he, it, it must like shock you. Yes. And, and that was, I, I think the peak of it was during the second or third week of the convoy. He had a, a particularly nasty press conference. Uh, I remember that day very, very well. And um, I'm, I'm frankly surprised uh, that even by his own measures, he's, he's hit a new low. But I think that that speaks to the fact that he's actually politically weak. I think he now knows he lost on the science, and I'm happy to speak to that uh, with you, should you permit. Uh, he, he, the mandates, the passports no longer make sense. And now he's basically projecting power to satisfy his narcissistic ego because he can't retreat politically. But on this issue, if I may, for all the hatred and, and all the demonizing that, that he tried to do to this movement, we saw that February 18th was probably one of the worst days in Canada's history to see peaceful protesters, not people in a truck blocking Elgin Street, but, but people standing on the hill or standing, standing on Spark Street and, and be, being arrested or, or pushed by police or mishandled by police. And what did you see in response? You saw peace. You did not see a single injury to the police. You did not see anyone being kicked or, or, or spat on. And, and so that goes 
to everything we need to know about this movement is when government exceeded and put itself above the rule of law, the peaceful protesters has, have proved Justin Trudeau and, and the mainstream media wrong, and they were indeed a peaceful movement. While we're on that topic, the mainstream media wasn't telling the truth about what was happening in Ottawa. What's, what's going on with that? Who, why? I mean, it's obvious because we all have Instagram. We're all we're watching live streams. Like we see it's peaceful. And then we see CBC or CTV or Global News, all of them saying it's, it's violent, racist. Like what's, who's doing that? How so, is that allowed? So I would say, look, aside from the media, the radical left, and, and I believe that that's really what, where, the, where the fault lies here, that has now been able to seep into every international and domestic institution, and that includes the media, um, is, is effectively driving um, an agenda. But, but most importantly, it is scaring people, including the media, into a certain narrative. And in the beginning of this, and, and I speak to a number of friends in the media, and, and some of them are very well-meaning. In the beginning of this, two years ago, they honestly believe that it's incumbent on them to promote the government's message in order to save lives. But then it became utterly apparent once we went a couple of months into this and it broad lockdowns no longer made sense, that they are not just a like government, they're not able to retreat from the narrative. And in part, they now understand that they've contributed to that significantly. And of course, they're not going to own that. Nobody wants to own what happened for, for the first year and a half of it. And so they only had one choice to make, and that's to continue with the narrative. The key to this is you have to free the media. And that means you have to free them from any and all economic interdependence on government. And that means ending the funding of, of CBC's news division. If they want to do news, they should be doing it on their own dime. It means ending the bailouts or any subsidies. It's sink or swim. There's absolutely no reason why government should be subsidizing media that can't cut it otherwise. And finally, ad, ads and, and advertising. For the last two years, governments have been the biggest purchasers of advertising. And, and he or she who places the ad gets, to, gets their message across and, and that's what you're seeing here, regretfully. Uh, this is something that I'm, I'm going to put an end to. I apologize that I'm lengthy. No, I love it, man. This is the things that, uh, these are hard things to, to talk about, but people are really deeply fired up about these things. It just feels like propaganda, and it feels like, it feels like we're in a weird corner of the matrix. You know, like, what's going on here? It doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. like this could be allowed. Kid, I was, I was born in the former Soviet Union, some of your folks may know that uh, we left when I was nine and a, a lot of people ask me if I see any similarities between that and, and this and I used to say it's it's the false narrative on, on which this is predicated we know who's at risk of the virus we know that we need to protect congregate setting and, and, and build healthcare capacity but uh, broad mitigation against healthy people does not work it makes them sick and uh, and and so it's on on a false narrative that we continue to engage in these remarkable exercises, which is a hallmark of an unfree society. But, but this element with the media, that we no longer have a free and independent, unbiased media, uh, regretfully, that is probably one of the greatest compromises to our democracy. And that's exactly what went on in the Soviet Union. There was one outlet called Pravda, the newspaper. Pravda means truth. 
and and there was no other truth permitted and and so what that's what we're happening today you can't cover someone fairly if that person is signing your paycheck we have to end this economic dependency media has to be arm's length from the government in order to cover it fairly how do you think how do you feel about the news organization rebel news Look, uh, I know that the other day they, they thought that I refused to take questions. I did take questions from them on my election night. Uh, sorry, on my leadership announcement night. Um, I anticipate that uh, I will speak to them in the near future. Uh, I like Ezra personally. When he was uh, running Sun News, I, I had difficulty watching Sun News because I would get too sad. Um, and, and, and sometimes I, that's, that's in fact what happens. I, I just get too sad watching it. Um, but I, I do think that there's a, a role for independent broadcasters, for non-mainstream, so to speak, broadcasters such as yourself to be able to articulate an alternative viewpoint. And we have very clear and defined terms in the criminal code. We know what is not permitted, which is, God forbid, incitement to violence. But short of that, who is to decide what is right and, and what isn't? Who's to decide what is mis misinformation? The, this, this culture that, that government is pushing that we have to protect consumers from themselves is, is insulting to Canadians. We can, we can make an educated opinion and, and even if it's not educated, we're allowed to be wrong. And what happened to, you might disagree with me, but you will defend my right to say that. The erosion of speech and that includes in the media, on, on social media, on the public square, in parliament, and even in our courts, I think by virtue of this cancel culture, uh, is I think is very, very dangerous to our democracy. Like for someone like me who's waking up, I'm wondering where I get my information from. You know, it's hard to know. There are Instagram pages you can follow, but you don't know if they're making, pulling stuff out of their ass. You don't know what where they're getting their information from. I know that I can't trust the mainstream media because they've, lied so much in the past and then really that was highlighted in ottawa is rebel news it seems to be the place where people like freedom fighters go to get their news in your opinion is that somewhere i can get stuff that's trustworthy or is there somewhere else that you would recommend that we go to find out what's really going on i'm definitely not going to endorse one one news outlet over another um what i would say however is it's very very important as as we articulate our position on democracy, on science, on handling the, the pandemic, that we are very, very sure as to the veracity, the accuracy and the real reliability of the information that we tender. We don't have the same luxury as the other side. We don't, we don't get away with, with a stat that, that might be wrong. We don't get away with, uh, with information that is not uh, fully objectively verified. And so that is very, very important. And that is something that I've tried to bring to the conversation in the last year and a half as I've been fighting lockdowns and passports, is that there's enough information out there that is objectively verifiable, that is good enough for us to rely on, to dispel and to debunk the narrative of the other side. If, if you have a study coming out and it's a peer reviewed study, in a, in a decent journal, that means that that's probably good to go with. If it's something that is tendered by the mainstream media, 
there is no better evidence to rely on than in fact something that the mainstream media is now tendering. And, and we had enough on its face to, to be able to rely on for the correctness of our position. And, and so I say that we don't need to, we don't need to go uh, anywhere that, that most Canadians don't go to in order to articulate our view. The issue is not even the information or the source. The issue is the narrative, the spin on the source, right? If we know that 80% of those that regretfully passed away, according to Statistics Canada, passed away in a long-term care home, then, then that is something that we should, in fairness, be talking about. That is not just a stat that we're throwing out there. It, it's a stat that should govern our approach to the virus. If we know that, thankfully, kids are at almost no risk, then, then why would we not be shouting that from the rooftops and not creating a mental health pandemic along our children. So there's a lot of data and, and a lot of propositions that all sides of the aisle agree on. The question is, what are we going to highlight and how are we going to articulate the narrative that will actually stay with people? And, and, and that's very important because, kid, I don't need to convince you and I don't need to convince um, hardcore Justin Trudeau supporters. We, need, we have a lot of hearts and minds in the middle. We have a lot of Canadians that don't believe anything anymore. And, and we need to make a, a, a sensible appeal to them that no one's putting anyone at risk, that there's no cause to redesign our democracy. And, and for that, we don't need to see anything that's not already before us. I'll tell you, one of the things that people love about you, Roman, is that you've never appeared on the WEF website. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, first of all, I gotta do Yes, the we're gonna go there. Yes, we're gonna go there. Can I, can I tell you, I have a bet with my crew on the road. Okay. How quickly does that question come up? <laughs> if it comes up within the first two questions, I buy drinks. If it doesn't come up within the first two, they buy drinks. I always end up picking the drinks. I love to do that. All right. But you know, okay, so I have never been a member of the WF and I've never had any communication with the WEF. But I, I really think that the problem is much greater than that. And that's not the institution itself, which hosts, hosts a, a fancy conference with, where all of our detractors get together. No, no, no. It's the ideology that it espouses. It's a very radical left-wing, dare I say, communist ideology that says, you're not gonna own anything. And, and, and that's actually how you obtain happiness. The taking away of personal property or the erosion of, of the sovereign nation which has historically been a prerequisite to uh, the, the prevalence, the win of the collective will of, of the worker. That is not new. That is communist thinking that has been around for more than 150 years. I, I sometimes joke that we're not necessarily fighting Klaus Schwab, we're fighting Karl Marx because it's not unique to the WEF, it's in the United Nations, it's in the IMF, it's in the World Bank, and it's not just limited to international institutions. That, I, that radical left-wing ideology has made itself into our school boards, into our municipal governments, into our provincial governments. It is the same ideology that's driving this division between us and this cancel culture that would not tolerate any dissenting opinion. And so it would be so easy if this was just contained to this guy and, and this body, but. It's not, and I actually think it's considerably worse 
because it has convinced and has seeped into the consciousness of many, many Canadians and, and many people in the West. But I have, I, I'm optimistic that Canadians by and large reject this ideology because we're well-meaning. We don't think that we should be forcing anyone to do anything against their will. We're certainly not going to be taking someone else's possessions and forcefully we're distributing them. Not at all. We're kind people. We want to work and we want government to leave us alone. Government to leave us alone. And that's the opposite of that thinking. And the best way we, the best thing we can do to fight against this radical ideology in Canada is to get rid of Justin Trudeau. Does it freak you out when you see things like Klaus Schwab boasting that his people have infiltrated at least half of Justin Trudeau's cabinet? I mean, does that, does that freak you out? No, what freaks me out is Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland. When I hear them on TV and they, and they think that COVID is an opportunity to redesign our, our political system or, or approach to life, I honestly think people are giving this dude too much credit. I, I can't imagine that he would ever thought that he was going to get so much credit. It's, it's not, it's decentralized, kid. My family has been fighting this. So as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish person from the Soviet Union. We've been fighting it for 150 years. I am the current reincarnation of the same fight, dare I say very humbly. They always thought that they know better. And it always had this hint of, I don't like the word elitism of, of we're better than you because we know we're better than you. Just like, you know, all in the famous Orwell book, uh, in Animal Farm, where, mm. where all animals are equal, but some animals are equal than others. They think that, that their approach to how to govern life is, is more intelligent, is, is more equitable, and they will do nothing. They will not hesitate to do anything from bringing that agenda about. And, and that includes using an opportunity. I don't, I don't believe they, I don't believe that COVID was by design. Uh, it was just for, it's, it was a different option for all people. It's, it opened a different universe for all people, whether you are a, a supplier of, of cleaning products or you're a technology company and, and your time has been, timeline has been accelerated by 10 years or, or you're, you're someone like Doug Ford, who is a political opportunist and, and has enjoyed remarkable political opportunity of COVID, or you're Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland, and now you see an opportunity for greater state intervention. You're a radical left-winger, and you see now government has an opportunity to dictate more because it has to now fund what they've broken through lockdowns and, and COVID dictas. That's what I'm afraid of. What about the vaccines? Should we, are they doing anything? Are they helping? Um, are they just a means to get us on the digital ID? So I'm of the view that we should allow and respect people's choice. And that means that we never, we've never forced anyone to do anything against their will. And, but that choice cuts both ways, which is why I appeal to our side of the aisle as well. We need to, we need to please moderate our opposition to people, to people that made a different medical choice or for whatever reason. I'm sure that there are many people that made a decision to vaccinate for the wrong reasons. And so we, we need to avoid the temptation of having that division. Now, I'm of the view that, look, there may be some efficacy, but you have to weigh the risk. 
And so it may be different for all for age categories. We know, for instance, that generally speaking, folks under 40, folks under 50, who are in generally decent health, experience much better outcomes to this highly transmissible virus. And so, so it's actually good that it's very transmissible because we're seeing that despite the vast, vast transmission, we're hearing that in the province of Ontario today, we have 100 to 120,000 cases a day. Our, our hospitals are not filling up, thankfully. However, maybe for folks that are in significant risk or are of age or similar severe comorbidities, it, it might make sense. That is a decision that should be made with your doctor, not by government, not politicians, not even public health. You can have a recommendation by the regulator and then your doctor will say to you, it makes sense for you, it might not make sense for you. And it should never have been anything else and it become politicized. But what I am very concerned about is the segregation and, and the discrimination that it caused. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mentioned to you in, in the Soviet Union, you couldn't get on a plane to travel outside the country. Even within the country, you have to show papers. So to see three and a half million Canadians today who can't get on a plane, that shouldn't upset just three and a half million Canadians. That should upset 35 million Canadians. And, and on the mandates, to make someone choose between their personal health and their ability to put food on the table, I think is inhumane, which is why I brought the only legislation, to my knowledge, the only legislation in the country to actually protect workers against uh, workplace mandates and unfortunately the Jobs and Jabs Act and unfortunately it was voted down on second reading um, and, and, and what's worse is like I said the science no longer justifies it and if I may just take another minute on that because we have to address that to our detractors every almost every health officer now acknowledged that two shots offer minimal protection against infection the chance of infection is effectively the same and that means that the risk of transmission, because they used to say that if your risk of infection is higher than statistically, you're more likely to transmit. That is no longer the case. That has never been the case. No one is putting anyone else at risk. Let people make their own healthcare decisions. It's crazy. Even though, you know, in BC, we've dropped the uh, mask mandates. It's like too late. People are putting two masks on their kids at the, at the park down the street from where I live continually. It's like people are brainwashed. I don't know whether we'll ever get back to a place where people are, aren't walking around with them. I, I think that a lot of people are going to experience a serious trauma the day they recognize that, that, that maybe this was somewhat of an overreach and didn't make much sense. And look, we can, we can address this fairly. When we thought that this was a droplet virus, in other words, it transmits by droplet, maybe it would have made some sense to have a covering. But we knew very early on, in fact, we saw evidence in New York of restaurants transmitting this through the air conditioner. It was always an airborne virus. And you can't stop breath particles, you can't stop smoke with a cloth mask. And, and, and so the fact that we knew that this is an airborne uh, mechanism and still maintained um, the, the need and, and demonized people that even dare to question this proposition uh, just just should probably taint everything else. Because if, if we're unwilling to discuss, I didn't say anything right now, kid, that's controversial. I, I made a logical argument. And, and, and the only thing that the other side would, would have to say is to either dismiss me or call me names or, or God forbid, call me a racist. And, and th this is very, very unfortunate that we've come to this 
where we can have a basic discussion about how government affects our everyday life. What's the biggest piece of information that you feel is, is wrong, that's floating around? I hesitate to speak about lockdowns again because my opponents in the media, they try to say that Roman is the lockdown candidate and anti-lockdown candidate and, and all of those are over. No, I'm, I'm running on potentially what precipitated lockdowns, what precipitated this exercise in which we still found ourselves as, like I said, three and a half million Canadians still can't get on a plane. Um, the, the biggest piece of information that I'd like your public to know is that we're now seeing a lot of data that in fact, this was a very harmful exercise. The Canadian Medical Association has already said that more than 4,000 Canadians died from delayed surgeries. In the province of Ontario, for instance, alone, we've missed more than a million cancer screenings. And those are targeted for people with predisposition or of age. We see, as we do in BC, an unprecedented rate of deaths from overdose that are precipitated by the mental health pandemic. And so that is very, very important. And, and maybe this goes to the greater point that we must insist that history regards what happened fairly. I don't want anyone coming back saying the lockdowns worked or, or the passport saved lives because then they'll justify some of the tactics, some of the methods that have been used against us for the last couple of years. The, the censorship, the manipulation, the, the segregation. And if that narrative is allowed to stand then we'll never get our democracy back and we'll fully, we'll never fully go back to normal. And that is a proposition that I find unacceptable. Okay, so, and, and, and maybe if I could put one thing at ease, it's, it's the point that I made before. No one is putting anyone else at risk. If you and I are two healthy individuals, if, if human nature was such, if science was such that two healthy human beings could die by virtue of the fact that they're standing next to each other or shaking each other's hands or, or hugging or even more, then, then we would not have survived the civilization. And, and it's very, very unfortunate that we've created this fear. And, and, and you know what, maybe there's something that I wouldn't want us to dispel. There's actually something that I'd like to tell your viewers that might cheer them up. We go to a lot of rooms now from, from place to place and I'm meeting so many Canadians that are like-minded, that, that agree on, on our democracy message. Um, Kit, you and, and your listeners have so many friends across this nation. It's something to be very optimistic and very hopeful about. Well, thank you, Roman, for being the first to speak out. In a very dark time, you gave us a lot of hope. And uh, I know you, you're not just someone who's jumped on the bandwagon. You've been at this for years since the beginning and maybe that's because of where you grew up and you saw the writing on the wall a very long time ago. Uh, but thank you for everything you're doing. I guess in, in final, I would just love to know, why are you a better candidate than Pierre? I like Pierre. I think he's um, articulate and he's intelligent. Uh, he's, he's a good politician. I think he was elected in his mid twenties. Um, I like to distinguish myself by saying that, look, I've built a reputation for uh, saying what I believe and, and doing what I believe is right, even when it's unpopular. And, and that I think is very, very important to restore trust in, in the political system. Uh, I'd also say that it's a ranked ballot and, and I ask your listeners to choose me as their first choice. And finally, I bring a human element. Um, 
I started my legal career at, at Legal Aid. Uh, I was working for the law school's Legal Aid Clinic, and um, I met a lot of I met a lot of people that uh, went through difficult times. And um, I was very swayed by addiction and mental health, which I believe causes so much of, especially our, our petty crime that that we deal with day to day. And and that's where I realized people are people, and we 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 don't just have to tolerate them. I think we have to love them. And, and that means that we have to treat them fairly and, and, and give them a fair shake and, and, and be frank with them. And at the same time, like I said to you, I'm exhibit A for Canadian opportunity. We, we came here, we didn't have a cent to our name. Uh, my first mattress was from the bin across the street. And I've had every opportunity to, to go to school, to succeed, to join a small business, to be elected by the very people that uh, welcome me as a new Canadian, 26, 20 years earlier, and and so I, I I'm unwilling to give up on on our democracy and Canadian opportunity. We owe it to each other. We owe it to our children. We owe it to future generations. This is the best country in the world, and and we we should not permit a bunch of ideologues who who peddle hate and division to to erode our democracy and opportunity. So join Ramon.ca is. Uh, where our journey begins. Join Roman.ca. I, I really look forward to being in British Columbia this weekend. Thank you for this time. Kid, I appreciate it sincerely. Thank you, brother. Thanks for letting me ask all the crazy questions. <laughs> Love. Keep them coming. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks. Best of luck to Smile. you. Thanks, Thanks a lot.